0: Good evening. Certainly, would would like to once again welcome you, each of you all, for coming out. Certainly, hope you had uh, an enjoyable, uh, smile-filled Sunday afternoon. Certainly, if you did not have the opportunity to to join us this morning, either in person or watching on live stream, would certainly encourage you to at some point before you begin your week, take a look, uh, take a look at, hear from, uh, listen to Jason's uh, lesson on prayer this morning. Certainly, think that will be of great benefit to you as you start your week. And I guess on that same note, as I'm also welcoming you, I guess I should also offer a hand of apology that for the past some five weeks, we've had both Roger and Jason sitting up here teaching the, the Sunday evening lesson, uh, and you just get stuck with me tonight. So certainly uh, apologize to you all for drawing the short end of the stick, but I certainly hope that our time together can be beneficial to you in some way. If you'd like to open a Bible, we'll be in the book of Luke for a majority of the evening. We are going to be reading a lot, uh, but not too far. We're pretty much going to remain camped there uh, in, in Luke's writing. So I would certainly encourage you to follow along. We'll begin reading tonight in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, this is one of those mile markers that we come to uh, in our Bibles. John the Baptist is being introduced to us. We certainly know one of those, he's, he's one of those main characters if you will, of our New Testament. He has great importance in, in his active role in, in the teachings of the New Testament. So we, we come across this mile marker and we are introduced to him here in Luke chapter 3. And it says, And in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judah, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Iaturnia and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into the region around Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And if you would, jump with me to verse 15 and 16 of that same chapter in Luke chapter 3. And it says, And as the people were in expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we are introduced here to to one of those main characters of our New Testament, one of those individuals who have such importance that we are very familiar with. A few chapters later in this same book of Luke, we're introduced to a group of characters, a group of main characters that That plays such a vital role in the teachings and the life of Jesus. And whether you are 5 or 95, you are most certainly familiar with these individuals tonight. Our kids so often sing a song in their Bible classes or in our VBS gatherings. Jesus called them one by one. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Next came Philip, Thomas too. Matthew and Bartholomew. James, the one they called the less. Simon, also Thaddeus. The 12th apostle, Judas made Jesus was by him betrayed. Yes, Jesus called them. Yes, Jesus called them. Yes, Jesus called them, and they all followed him. We know their names. They're certainly not a, a new new things that we are hearing about tonight. They have an active, very known role in the New Testament. So read with me, if you would, in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. It says, "In these days he went out on the mountain to pray, he being Jesus in this context. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when he came... He called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Verse 17 now. It says, and he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great multitude, or a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon. Who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power had come out of him, and he healed them all. So the first thing, according to Luke's account, that these these main characters, these twelve that we are so familiar with, they join him, and they are joined by a crowd of great people, a great multitude is following him. So it's not just this instance that we're going to look at tonight. We're going to go through the book of Luke, as I had mentioned, and look at some of these things, that not just what did these 12, but what did also the crowds that are following him, what did they see along with Jesus in his journey? The first thing they saw, of course, is is right there, those verses where we began just reading right now in verses 17 through 19 of Luke chapter 6. That's the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most powerful, one of the most famous, certainly, sermons ever uttered that we have recorded. There are witnesses to the Sermon on the Mount, we're not going to take the time to to read through all of it tonight, but I do want to point out a certain verse from it, because I believe for our purposes, for where we're going to end up this evening, certainly a verse that we would like you to to keep in mind, keep at the forefront of your mind as we're continuing on through the book of Luke tonight. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 43, Jesus begins to in the middle of this sermon, begins to illustrate for those joining him, those accompanying him, this crowd, the, these 12 that he has called out, he begins to illustrate a very clear picture for all of those who are gathered hearing him here this evening. Verse 43 reads, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of his heart his mouth speaks a very very easy to understand illustration that Jesus is giving those those listening uh, a picture of a very very vivid word picture if you will of these two these two trees a good tree versus a bad tree good tree not producing bad fruit a bad tree being able unable to produce good fruit. So certainly those, keep those verses in mind as we continue on reading here tonight with looking at what did those accompanying him, those in those crowds, those 12 that Jesus has called, who we are all very familiar with, what did they see? Well, the next thing they saw were these miracles that Jesus was doing, these healings, these raisings, this forgiveness of sins, these cleansings of different individuals, these crowds we have account of seeing. Turn with me now, if you would, to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, the miracle of Jesus raising a widow's son is one of them that we're going to look at tonight. Verse 11 is where we'll begin our reading. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. It says, soon after he went into a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out by the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they all glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people and this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country those who were there in that crowd those apostles that were gathered with him certainly saw this power of Jesus raising somebody from the dead if you would flip over to Luke chapter 8 Luke chapter 8 another miracle that we're gonna briefly take a look at this evening we are no doubt familiar with Jesus cleansing the demon possessed man that that I am legion verse in Luke chapter 8 that we are so, so definitely familiar with. We're going to pick it up in the latter part of the story in verse 34. Jesus has just cleansed this man. The demon had been sent to the pigs. The pigs have fallen off the cliff. And we pick up in verse 4. It said, And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid, and those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people in the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home, and declare how much God has done for you. And so he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him." There are certainly more miracles recorded for us on Luke's account in, in those seven and eight chapters of Luke, but just looking at those two examples that we pulled the tonight, it's very clear that word is starting to get out about Jesus. People are starting to be interested. These crowds are beginning to grow, to come and see what this guy, what this individual was all about, and certainly it's not recorded exactly how large some of these crowds were on any given thing, we have words like a great multitude of people, a, a gathering, so to speak. There is one such example, though, that we do know of, where there is a totaled number of crowd. Of course, that is the feeding of the 5,000, one of the most famous miracles, again, that our children would even, would even recognize that takes place there in Luke chapter 9. Read with me, if you will, in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 10, Jesus had just sent his apostles out the 12 that that he had called, the 12 that we all know by name, that we all sing about, that our children sing about. He had just sent these 12 out to go individually, to go their own ways, to continue to spread his message, to spread his word. And so they have now returned, as we pick up in verse 10 of Luke chapter 9. Verse 10 says, And on their return the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to him and said, send this crowd away to go in the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them loaves, or you give them something to eat, and they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all of these people. And we, of course, we're not going to read the rest of the story. We all know how the, the story ends that these 5,000 that are gathered that have accompanied Jesus on this journey were all fed with just those loaves and fish. Certainly, one of the unique things about this example, this miracle that we have recorded for us, is we get a little, just a slight glimpse, really, uh, of what the apostles, a, a little bit of contrast between the apostles in Between this crowd and those accompanying him, we have recorded for us right there in, in verse 12 or verse 11. Rather, the crowds are following him. He they've, they've tried to, to withdraw, but the crowds are continuing to, to zone in on him, they are continuing to seek, seek out who, who this guy is. I want to continue to follow and listen from him. Versus, whereas the apostles. Whereas the apostles, in verse 12, said, Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to him and said, Send, these guys, send this crowd away to the surrounding villages. I almost wonder which one of the twelve was picked to select. Uh, select go, hey, you go tell Jesus to, to tell the crowd to go away. We're tired. We just came back from all this traveling journey. Tell them to go get a place to stay, get their own food to eat. It's getting late. We're exhausted. certainly wonder which one of, which one of those twelve it was. But that's really not the the importance of the the thing. This example, the reason it is recorded for us, the reason I have it listed as one of the the things that those accompanying him on this journey saw, not just the crowd because they were fed in this instance, but also the 12 apostles, I'm sure this was certainly a large learning experience for all of those involved, especially those apostles who had this up-close view to the power and ability of Jesus that he was able to feed this great, gathering of people with just these loaves and bread. That, of course, is not the only learning experience that the crowds, the apostles, that those who are accompanying him on these journeys, those who are following him, have seen in our scriptures that we have recorded for us. In Luke 12 through 21, really, we have parable after parable after parable after parable listed for us. These great learning opportunities that those who are accompanying him we're able to see themselves firsthand. Read with me, if you will, if you turn to Luke chapter 12 now. Luke chapter 12. We'll begin in verse 13. We're not going to look at any or analyze one or two uh, of these parables in depthly tonight, but I, I hope we're just pulling a couple verses out of it can make the, the larger point here. But the parable of the rich fool is, is there in verse 13. It says, And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me but he said to him man who made you who made me a judge or arbiter over you and we'll stop right there because for our context this evening the the moral of the story so to speak the importance what Jesus goes on to say is not what I want to bring your focus to i want to bring your focus to that verse 13 that somebody in the crowd said to him and he responded and he uses the crowd as a teaching experience an example an opportunity to teach, to preach his word. The crowd is beginning to play also a vital role in Jesus and all that he was accomplishing. But it's not just the crowd who is getting involved in having these conversations, these discussions, having questions answered by Jesus. If you turn just the page over, most likely in your Bible, to verse 41, we find Peter asking, Lord, are you telling this, uh, this parable for us or for all? Is this parable for us or for all? Another example that Jesus is not just using this crowd, but also his own apostles, those 12 that we know so very, we know every single one of their names, we know them so very well, that he is using both this crowd and the 12 who have accompanied him in his teachings and in his his preachings. If you would also now turn with me to Luke 14. Luke 14, this is another one of those connector verses that I want to connect with you to the verses we read from the the Sermon on the Mount talking about the trees and the good fruit. Read with me, if you will, in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Luke 14, verse 25. It said, Now the great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, skip to verse 27, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower... Does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, but was not able to finish. Another vivid illustration that Jesus is painting for those accompanying him, both in the crowds and in the twelve, underscoring again that seriousness that following him and genuinely seeking and following him requires. It is not just to, to come and see the miracles, to come and see and enjoy and, and, and have fun in watching him. For those truly seeking to follow him, to become those disciples, you cannot, as he mentions in this vivid description, begin to build a tower, begin to lay a foundation and not able to finish it. Certainly, we'll use this opportunity as uh, an invitation to you on our, for our Wednesday night series where we've been looking at laying a foundation and how firm a foundation this is. Certainly a great series of lessons that if you haven't watched any of those yet, we certainly encourage you to, to go to our website and, and check those out. would certainly extend that open invitation that, to join us this coming Wednesday as we look at that idea of how important building and continuing to build and building a, a firm foundation is. If we move on here... The next thing that these twelve were able to see, that these crowds that were gathering him with him were able to see, was this triumphal entry into Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, read with me if you will, in verse 37. It says, and as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. These crowds are praising and rejoicing for Jesus. But it tells us why. I don't know if you, you looked at that. Why are they praising? Why are they rejoicing? As verse 37 tells us, they're with a loud voice praising and rejoicing for all the mighty works that they had seen. They had seen these sermons. They had seen these miracles, the healings, the raisings, the cleansings. Presumably some of them could have been amongst that 5,000 that was numbered, that was fed on that day. And for all that they had seen and the wisdom and the teaching and the hearing from the parables and the conversations that they had heard and, and, and seen and been a witness to while they were accompanying Jesus on this journey that he has been going on throughout the the New Testament, that is why they are praising and rejoicing. Then, of course, on the flip side of, of praising and rejoicing, some a few days later, they were also there to see Christ crucified. If you turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, verse 26, says, and they led him away and they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid him on the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed with him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. We'll jump to verse 44 now. says, and it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And now when the centurion had saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts. These crowds, who just a mere days ago were rejoicing and praising for all that they had seen, are now mourning and lamenting as we read in Luke chapter 23. Such a stark contrast of of what they were witness to in those couple of days' time because they knew that this man, they had seen all the good works we had done we just read. They've seen all these examples that we have listed on the the screen and numerous other ones that we just certainly didn't have the time for to include in our message here Tonight, they have been a witness to that, and yet they are now mourning and lamenting because this man that they know who has been innocent, wrongfully killed, is dead. And we certainly have context surrounding the events of why Christ was crucified, the how Christ was crucified. And one of the obvious things, certainly, but one of the interesting things is you can really trace it to choices of of one of those individuals. And certainly, it was one of those individuals who had seen, who had been a witness, who had accompanied Jesus on this journey. Judas, his apostle, was one of those 12 mentioned, one of those 12 that he had called, one of those 12 who had seen all of these things. And his betrayal and his choices to lead up to the, the, the death, the burial, and then ultimately the resurrection of Christ. But, but his choice is leading to that that betrayal. Certainly, certainly interesting when you think, how could somebody see all of these things? How could somebody be a witness to, have access to, observe, see all of these things, make a choice like that? And then, of course, not only make a choice like that, but then feel so guilty of those choices, not being able to live with yourself, that you may, he made a an, a different choice that was... Revealed and recorded very vividly and descriptively for us in the scriptures of his passing. But it is because of his passing that we, or that the apostles rather, are looking now for a new apostle. Somebody to join them in their mission and their preaching of their, their teaching now that Jesus has been resurrected. And part of the reason I love Luke's account and part of the reason I used Luke's account is because Luke is also the author of Acts chapter, or the book of Acts, really. And so we'll be now, jump with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, pick up with me in verse 12, if you would. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. It says, And when they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath-day journey away, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. Where they were staying, and that is Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James. These names that we know, 11 of those original 12 that we are all very familiar with, they are here tonight. So these were all with one mind, continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons were there together. And said, Brethren, the scripture had, had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his portion in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, burst it open into the middle, and all his bowels gushed out, and it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem. So that in their own language that field was called Halkadema, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead be made desolate, and let no man dwell in it. And his office let another man take. Verse 21 now. It is therefore necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all that time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these should become a witness with us to his resurrection. And they put forth two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, who knowest the hearts of all men, show, us, show which one of these two thou hast chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Aha! Some 30 minutes later, after we begin, you finally know where my title of the sermon came from this evening. Matthias, this 13th of the 12 apostles. By all means, for our purposes, one of those individuals of the New Testament who did not come with that great introduction that that John the Baptist did where we began tonight, did not come with with that that great introduction that the other 12 apostles did. After all, we don't include him in the song, do we? Well, this is actually where the the origin of the the message tonight came. Back in in VBS, on night one of VBS, Jason had led for the the children the Jesus called them song, and he had stopped after the the first verse. So afterwards, in the B2 classroom, we were moving tables, and I sort of somewhat jokingly said to him, you know, we, we didn't sing the second verse of that song, And the first word, or the first name mentioned in that second verse, and also the first word of that second verse, of the Jesus called them children's song, is Matthias. Matthias then took Judas' place to preach to men of every race. Paul three preaching trips did make, went to Rome for Jesus' sake, is how it goes. By all accounts, Matthias is one of those overlooked, one of those forgotten, one of those unknown individuals of the scriptures. You can do a Bible search, you can do a Google search, and there is not much information that will come up to you whatsoever about Matthias. After all, he is just mentioned twice, not only in the New Testament, but in the entire Bible, and we read both instances just a second ago in Acts chapter one, where he was named. He does not come to us with much context whatsoever. He is not quoted, his words are not written for us to to remember. In fact, Bible scholars don't necessarily even agree on the different ways as to where he went, what he taught, how long he spent in those places teaching, or even, very contrary to his predecessor, there is some distinction or some confusion as to how exactly he died. So he comes to us with very, very little context, but he doesn't come to us without any context. And it's in that little context that I want to hopefully pull out our real application points tonight to hopefully make this 13th of 12 lesson make sense. Read with me, if you would, again in Acts chapter 21, or Acts chapter 1, verse 21. Acts chapter 1, verse 21. It is therefore necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in, and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us. One of these should become a witness to, with us of his resurrection. He was there, he saw, he, he joined them. These, he has, it is mentioned in the next verse, he's not the only one, as they put forward two names, Joseph called Bar, Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. He had seen these things, he had seen the sermons, he had seen the, the miracles, the healings, the raisings, the cleansings that we had looked at. Presumably, he could have been, doesn't, not really certain, it doesn't really matter for our purposes, but he could have very well been among those 5,000 that were fed that day. And he certainly, no doubt, was a witness to listening and learning from parable after parable. But the thing I want to show you is that's not the, the context he comes with that that really matters. That just because he was in the crowds, just because he was there, could have been there, is not the reason why he got an apostleship. I know you might read and see verse 26 of Acts chapter one and see in the draw and they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles, and get the idea that he was like a won a fifty-fifty raffle at a baseball game, that Matthias was sitting in section 213, row E, seat 20, and hey, congratulations, Matthias, here's an apostleship. Welcome, congratulations, right seat, right time. That's not the, the indication that we get. That's not the picture that we get. That's not the context he comes with that is important. It's not what he saw, but what he was seeking that is the important thing. As it tells us in verse 24, it says, and the, or the apostles prayed, and said, "Thou Lord who knowest the hearts of all men, show which one of these two thou hast chosen. The Lord who knowest the hearts of all men, show us which one that thou hast chosen." It was because of Matthias' heart, his honest seeking, his active seeking, that he was selected to be among the apostles and numbered along with them. So for our purposes here tonight, trying to make it a little, a little personal, seeing does not equal seeking. After all, if you look just at that contrast between Judas and Matthias, Matthias we would not know of for all intents and purposes without Judas's decisions. They both saw the same things as we spent plenty of time reading through in the book of Luke tonight. They saw the same things. They witnessed the same miracles, the same sermons. They heard the same parables, the same teachings. Presumably Judas would have even had more access to learn more, more insight, become more connected to Jesus than Matthias had. So they saw the same things, but they were not seeking the same things. As we are told in Luke 22, verses 3 through 6, Luke 22, verses 3 through 6, said, Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. And he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers of how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him in the absence of a crowd. We have perhaps, I, I, I told you to, to hopefully keep it in the forefront of your mind, those verses from, from Luke chapter 6, of the good fruit and the bad fruit of those trees. We perhaps have no more clear of a picture of, of those, those two trees right here than we do with, with Judas and Matthias because of what they were seeking. We know their, their hearts, as it tells us in verse 24 of Acts chapter 1. And Judas, of course, also fits that description that we read from uh, about laying a foundation. Judas was one of those individuals who had started building. He had certainly recognized the need at some point to build. He was called to build. He began building, but he is like that example listed for us in Luke, who had stopped building and turned away and then is mocked. Certainly, again, an interesting contrast. And for all we know, Matthias, as I mentioned, was no king, he was no ruler, not a word he said was written down for us to remember. By all means, he was the definition of an ordinary and overlooked individual when it comes to to terms of, of, of our interpretation of how we read the scriptures. Perhaps, like I mentioned earlier, you didn't even know Matthias was in the Bible before this evening. But as that 13th of 12 apostles, I certainly hope that today he can serve to not just those in the audience tonight, those who are joining us on live stream, but for everyone, an example to us that even though, by all accounts, from man's perspective, he was one of these ordinary and overlooked individuals, that those who have hearts that are actively seeking Christ, what a strong example Matthias is. Of what those who are seeking Christ of what they can observe and obtain, and certainly we've had there's a n- numerous ways you can you can go about that, uh, making it a little personal is what the seeing versus seeking thing, of course, the obvious one is church, just because you are in the crowd, just because you are here tonight does not necessarily mean that you have that that heart that is actively seeking. we certainly hope it does, but just Being in the crowd, being amongst, observing, seeing, doing good things in the community is not enough to truly be a follower, to truly be a disciple of Jesus. There have certainly been times throughout this past 18 months, that's part of the reason I referenced, again, Jason's great message for us this morning about prayer, where we have had so many, just in this community, so many different instances that have popped up, so many different problems that have arisen out of the blue it seems like at different times that while everybody is indeed going through something suffering something something has been heavy on their hearts it at times can feel like nobody nobody in the crowd notices we are that Matthias character if you will if we were to to rank and you shouldn't rank needs of people but if you were to rank where does where does my the burden on my heart where does that weigh? When listed against all of these other problems that we are having just here in our our local church community that need prayer and need people's thoughts and attention to, it is certainly very easy if you were to rank them to, to identify yourself as that that thirteenth of twelve well it's it doesn't it's not some of these big serious issues some of these very serious health problems it's not divorce it's not a sudden death in the family it's not anything like that it's just it's It's burdening me. And what the important thing that that I think Matthias shows us is it's not what we see, it's not what those around us, those, those human eyes are able to see that matters. Because even though Matthias, for all intents and purposes again, is that 13th of 12 apostles, he's usually forgotten his heart was known by God. And that's all that matters. His heart was known by God. So as we close here tonight, I'd like to take you, we don't, again, as I said, we don't have much context whatsoever to where Matthias went after uh, he became an apostle, but we do, again, have, have some context. Chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, picks up right where we left off after he has been numbered with the Twelve. So the first thing Matthias does as a newly appointed apostle was certainly a very familiar experience for him. A new title, but not a new experience. He finds himself in the presence of a crowd. As we read in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost had come, they all were together in one place. They being the apostles, who now we all know those original 11 and now the the 13th of 12. Matthias is, is there with them. And read with me in verses 4 through 6 now. It says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men in every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered, because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. Jump with me now, if you will, to Acts 2, 32. They have come together. They are seeking this message that is, about to be, be uttered by Peter, this great multitude, again, a crowd who is seeking. Acts two thirty two says, Then Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, in whom Jesus you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the arrest of the apostles, who Matthias is now one of them, What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. For you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children for all who are far off and as many who call upon the Lord shall or who as many as the Lord shall call to himself. Verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3000 souls. How interesting is it that that same invitation that was heard by Matthias this newly appointed apostle, that same invitation that was responded to by some 3,000 souls on that day is the exact same invitation that, that you and I have extended to us here this, this very evening. That's pretty, that's pretty neat, I think. That's a pretty neat thing. So certainly, we, at this opportunity, if you are realizing you, you need to begin that, that journey, you're realizing that you perhaps have been in that crowd following searching seeking is this the right path for me am I really do I really want to follow Jesus is this the direction I want to go and you are ready to begin that that journey of truly of having a heart that bears good fruit that is honestly and earnestly seeking him we certainly encourage you to be immersed in the waters of baptism tonight but perhaps you're just an individual who has Already, you've already began that journey. You've already began seeking Christ. You've started to build that foundation up, but for some reason you have stopped and turned away. We certainly extend that invitation to you to, to come back and begin building and make sure your building is, is firm and, and is strong enough to withstand some of the different storms that, that life has thrown at us, especially some of those that have occurred within the past 18 months. Or perhaps you just need some prayers. You've got something that is heavy on your heart this evening. Somebody or something is, is really getting to you. Whatever it can do, whatever it can be, if we can help you in any way. We ask that you come forward as we stand and as we sing.